0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and Politics. Well, normally on Friday, we have FOMO Fridays and the FOMO Friday Report, where we love to bring you news so that you don't have the fear of missing out, especially if you're not listening to the propaganda media. Uh, This week, though, we're going to do our FOMO Report today, because obviously on Friday, that's our last podcast before Christmas and we'd like to do something a little bit special for that. So in our and a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes some really good news. We hear a lot about how short-staffed hospitals are right now. And yet much of this mess is of their own making. They are the ones that went against the science and, and common medical knowledge about viruses and fired thousands of doctors and nurses and healthcare workers. For not getting the COVID vaccine. Many of these individuals were their, their their religious rights were denied when they applied for religious exemptions. Now a federal judge has approved a class action settlement of more than ten million dollars. For workers at an Illinois healthcare system whose religious exemptions against uh, taking the COVID vaccine were rejected. Now, Judge John Ness granted approval on Monday with the final judgment provided by next week, according to Liberty Counsel. Quote After many months of long hours, we are pleased to finally get the court's final approval of this. Classwide settlement for these healthcare workers who were unlawfully discriminated against and denied religious exemptions from the COVID shot mandate. This is Liberty Council Pre- vice president of legal affairs and chief litigation counsel Harry Manette. Now um, he he's the uh, the one. Th- this group is the one who organized uh, this whole the healthcare workers uh, settlement, and they said this in a statement that this case should be a precedent for other employers who have violated the law by denying religious exemptions for their employees. The first of its kind class action settlement against a private employer in the case of Jane Doe 1 et al. versus North Shore University health care system arose after the health care system denied hundreds of religious exemptions uh, requests for COVID vaccines. Now, no Shore will pay over ten million dollars, ten million three hundred thirty-seven thousand five hundred dollars, to con- compensate the impacted healthcare employees who were denied the exemptions. The settlement includes various responses based on the the treatment of the individual employees. So, not everybody is going to get the same thing. Settlement checks to those terminated or resigned because of their religious refusal of the uh, uh, COVID vaccine, will receive approximately $24,000 each, according to the settlement. Now, employee employees forced to accept a COVID vaccine against their religious beliefs to keep their jobs will receive approximately $3,700 each. In addition, staff members terminated because of their religious refusal will be eligible for rehire if they apply within 90 days of the final settlement uh, approved by the court, and will remain, uh, will will retain their previous seniority level. Now, Liberty Council noted that many previous terminated employees have already been rehired, and that's good news, right? And others will continue to be reinstated at North Shore. Kind of, this is partly because, of this lawsuit going through that they had already started to hire uh, others back not all healthcare systems have done that even to this day the settlement will also require the healthcare provider to change its religious accommodation policy to be consistent with the law <laughs> offering legal religious accommodations across all of its locations and the lawsuit was filed back on october 20 uh 2021 Uh, along with a motion for a temporary restraining order against the Illinois-based company. North Shore previously granted exemptions for some employees, but then all of a sudden turned around in mid-September of 2021 and just started denying all of them. In fact, North Shore also changed its exemption form to include a warning that all religious objections based on, as they put it, quote aborted fetus cell lines, stem cells, tissue, or derivative materials will result in denials, unquote. <laughs> so they kind of cut their own, own throats on this one. The, law, the lawsuit focused on the state's healthcare Care uh, Right of Convenience Act and some other things. Uh, Judge Ness issued um, a 27-page decision back in November of 2021 that found that the North Shore employees who were denied... Um, and who were uh, uh, discriminated against would be able to recover monetary damages. Now, if we don't stand up for our God-given rights and take action when they are violated, then we really don't have any rights at all. And this is one way of doing that. And speaking of standing up for one's rights, an Ohio teacher is suing her former school after she was forced to quit her job for not using students' new gender identity pronouns, she says. Now, Vivian uh, Gurgati is uh, a 24-year-old former English teacher and has filed a lawsuit against Jackson Memorial Middle School, south of Columbus. Now, she says that district officials forced her out even though her Christian religious beliefs prevented her from using students' preferred pronouns. The teacher's lawsuit filed last week in a federal court accuses the school of retaliating against her for exercising her rights to free speech as well as violating her right to practice her Christian religion. The suit also names the education board and two school district employees, now, Grigotti quit her teaching position about a week later on August 26th, according to her lawsuit. And the problem started when two students asked Gergatti to use new names that align, quote, with their new gender identities rather than their legal names, unquote. One of the students also requested that the teacher use a preferred pronoun, the lawsuit alleges. I mean, it makes me wonder if they said, you know, my preferred pronoun is Mickey Mouse, Uh, and Mickey Mice or whatever, (laughs) then would she have to call them by that? Uh, According to this, it looks like the school district uh, wanted her to do that. Now, Gurgati went to the principal in hopes of reaching a solution, but the principal and his superior, the director of curriculum instruction and assessment, told her, quote, she would be required to put her beliefs aside as a public servant, unquote according to the lawsuit. Now, she was allegedly accused of insubordination and told that continuing to teach without participating in the the students' gender transitions would not work in a district like Jackson. That's what she was told. Now, she was informed that if she would not participate, then she must resign immediately. Now, Grigotti says that she attempted to tell the principal that forcing her to resign was a violation of her free speech. But the principal repeated that a public servant, that as a public servant, she must set her religious convictions aside or resign. So in other words, as soon as you step out your front door, you're done as far as your rights go. And of course, that's not true. The principal's superior then handed her a laptop, get this, and told her to draft her letter of resignation immediately. Gurgati is represented by the Allied Defense uh, uh, Freedom, uh, Defending Freedom, which is the ADF, which filed the lawsuit on her behalf and saying that, quote, no school official can force a teacher to set her religious beliefs aside in order to keep her job. The schooled, uh, tried to force Vivian to recite as true the school's viewpoint on issues that go to the foundation of morality and human identity, like the, like what makes us male or female, by ordering her to personally participate in the social transition of her students. The First Amendment prohibits that abuse of power. Now, Gergati is not the first teacher to be disciplined over refusing to affirm students' new gender identity. In March, a uh, veteran teacher in Kansas, and we covered some of this in a a prior podcast, and she also a a Christian, uh, sued her school after she was suspended under the district's bullying and diversity and inclusion policies. That teacher was also denied the religious exemption that she requested for the district's new policy that teachers must use students' preferred names. Back in 2018, a Christian teacher in Indiana lost his job after the school district denied uh, to stop letting him refer to all students by their last names so he would not have to affirm their transgenderism. You know, it's, it's not enough for leftists to have the freedom to do what they want in this country. And they also they 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 feel the need to force you to accept and even celebrate their views and choices as well. And in this next story, we see that this 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 very ab- attitude is prominent even within the Catholic Church as well. Catholic priest Father Frank Pavone fired back Monday night after reportedly being defrocked by the Vatican for political reasons, charging that this that that his uh, dismissal was due to a cancel culture in the Catholic Church that needs to be exposed. Now, Provone, who is the founder of Priests for Life, has become known for blasting President Biden and Democrats on social media. The Catholic News Agency or CNA obtained a letter from the Archbishop um, Christ- uh, Christophe Pierre to uh, U.S. bishops that claimed uh, Provone was dismissed for his social media activity and persistent disobedience to the lawful instructions of his di- uh, diocese um, di- uh, and, and, and bishop. In the and an email to the CNA, Provone said that the news outlet had learned of the move before he had. So basically, he learned that he had he had. Uh, Uh, been defrocked by by, uh, what he saw on the news rather than by the Catholic Church itself. On Monday, uh, Provone spoke with Fox News host Laura Ingram about the news and said that this is actually the the culmination of 21 years of abuse by church authorities uh, to me, as he said, uh, and to my ministry, despite the fact that we help the Vatican, we have helped the Vatican, he said. We help to run some of the operations out of the Pope's mission to the United Nations. We help the Secretary of State with international pro-life issues. We run the largest ministry for healing after abortion, for which Pope Francis has personally engaged me uh, to keep going on it. And we do all kinds of other pro-life work with many of our viewers, that, that many of our viewers are familiar. i Ravone added that that he would continue to be a leader in the pro-life movement, and he said, "It's a cancel culture in the church. It's got to be exposed and it's got to be resisted." He concluded. Now, to me, it's really interesting that there are so many priests within the Catholic Church that have been convicted of sexual misconduct, but have not even been disciplined by the church, let alone what's happening here with this father and and all simply because he's conservative. And speaking of being targeted for being conservative, the January 6th committee on Monday recommended to the justice department four criminal charges against former president Donald Trump. Uh, obstruction, uh, obstructing an official proceeding, conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to make false statements to the feds, and inciting and insurrection. Those are the charges they're recommending to the DOJ. Now, the committee does not have the ability to charge Trump, but the group is trying to influence the DOJ to move forward with charges uh, anyway. Um, will, Will the DOJ move to indict, do you think? Well, Here's what the experts say. National Review columnist Andy McCarthy, who formerly served as an assistant United States attorney for the Southern District of New York, suggested the DOJ will not move to indict Trump in relation to January 6th. Quote, the, the hole in the committee's case has always been a criminally actionable nexus between Trump and the violence. There isn't one. McCarthy explained on on the insurrection charge, adding that the other three charges don't fare any better, really. So, so in other words, the, people know that this January sixth committee is just political; it's all it is. And they and they 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 promised to try to come up with some real facts, some real things that Trump had done wrong and done illegal, and they weren't able to do that. So now they're just saying, "Well, we just want to see him charged." <laughs> The legal expert argued here that that the committee's actions might actually work to to be in his in Trump's favor, though, even Uh, quote, the anti Trumpers of the January 6th committee would like to see Donald Trump be indicted. He wrote Uh, they would also like to be perceived as having caused Trump's uh, uh, indictment. That which is credit that they'll now claim if if Trump does actually get charged with with the charges that they, they referred to, but the blunt fact is that the committee's referrals will have no bearing on whether that the Justice Department decides to charge Trump. If the referrals have any you know relevance, then it will be Exhibit A in Trump's defense that any indictment is sheer partisan politics, which is exactly what this is. Quote, well, it's not that the DOJ wouldn't love to charge Trump with a violent crime. It's that the DOJ doesn't want egg of an acquintal on his uh, on, on their face. I mean, that's what it boils down to. They just know that they're not going to be able to, to get him on anything because there's nothing here. Constitutional expert Jonathan Turley seems to be in agreement with McCarthy about the future uh, J6-related uh, trouble for Trump. Noting that the committee was f- focused on presenting Trump's inaction as opposed to building the case concerning the former president's actions to allegedly incite the breach, so here here they are focusing in on what he's not doing versus what he actually did, and that's what that's what's going to get you know, someone in in, in trouble is that you can show that they actually did something in most cases. A constitutional expert who leans left, Associated Professor of Law at Santa Clara University, Margaret M. Russell, wrote at the um, conversation that the committee has spelled out reasons for the DOJ to move forward on the referrals. So she's kind of of the opposite mind. Quote, the House Committee's uh, message of accountability—that if the nation is to consider itself to be a democracy, that works—that uh, works. There must be accountability for Trump and others. Was made very powerfully. Russell added, <laughs> um, "How was <is> that exactly? <laughs> how was it made very powerfully? <laughs> that that doesn't make any sense. I mean, Trump called." for 10,000 National Guard troops, days before January 6th. And Pelosi and other Democratic leaders refused them. Trump told the demonstrators in in his speech not to break the law and demonstrate peacefully. There There were government actors in the crowd, as well as Antifa, of course, that were actually doing what Trump is accused of and as far as inciting an insurrection i mean come on there has not been a single person convicted of insurrection from what happened at the capitol on january 6 not a single one so so how can trump be convicted of inciting an insurrection if not a single person has been convicted of of of, of insurrection it makes absolutely no sense this is all simply political, and everybody can see it, and everybody knows it. Now, the one thing that that they're trying to go forward with this on is that if they can get him um, you know charged with these from the DOJ, then it obviously weakens him as a candidate for president uh, coming up in two years. and 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 if if they can't get him on that, um then, then obviously it's it, it, it's going to make him look bad it's going it, it still puts something out there so he's running for president they they can try to hit him on hey look you know the the committee said it was a bipartisan committee and they said that 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 the DOJ should charge him you know and so even if the DOJ doesn't charge him well they have something to go off of if they do charge him then obviously they have something to go off of even more so see look the DOJ even charges so either way in their eyes this is a win-win for them, and and what we found out about uh, elections and and um, and what the federal government has uh, has their fingers in when it comes to uh, elections, especially that election between Trump and Joe Biden. Um, we've, we we actually have found out even more recently about that sort of thing. Now Twitter cost elon musk 44 billion dollars to buy but the fbi bought it for just 3.4 million 44 billion versus 3.4 million now before monday's bombshell edition of twitter files internal communications suggest that the fbi mandated twitter's content cops through former g-men embedded inside the company appeals to of course this 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 appeals to a sense of of patriotism and letting woke staffers feel like you know characters on um Quantico let's say but but the latest drop released by author Michael Schulberger revealed that the FBI sweetened the deal with cold cash let me explain twitter which which by all accounts was was poorly run by the pre-Musk regime, lost a combined nearly $1.4 billion in 2020 and 2021. So that company has never made money. A a bloated payroll, dubious business model, and pampered workforce more interested in in latte-fueled hot yoga than than the bottom line, were were just some of the obvious reasons why they were losing money just hand over fist. But doing the FBI's bidding and preventing Americans from knowing who they were about to elect as president in 2020 was one profitable little corner of the otherwise poorly performing platform. Quote: I am happy to report we have collected $3,415,323 since October. 2019! Exclamation mark. This is this is what uh, was written by an unidentified functionary of Twitter's safety, content, and law enforcement team, which is they they referred to as Scale, uh, back in February of 2021 in an email to FBI general counsel turned top Twitter lawyer. You got it, James Baker. Uh, quote in 2019, Scale instituted a reimbursement program for our legal process response from the FBI. Prior to the start of the program, Twitter chose not to collect under this statutory right of a reimbursement for the time spending uh, spent processing requests from the FBI. What the email really said was, Hey Jim, your old bosses at the Bureau are paying your salary and more now for us to shadow ban tweets they don't like woohoo <laughs> i mean that's what it's saying i mean basically when the fbi would come to twitter and say hey we need you to do this we need you to to, to you know put put a dicks on this story or you know people talking about this they would just do it without even even charging the the fbi for it now th- then all of a sudden they switched and, and decided okay yeah we're we're going to we're going to take money for that and yeah we'll do it and guess what we ju- we just made almost Three and a half million dollars doing it. That's awesome. I mean, that's what was going on. Now, Baker must have smiled when he read that email, secure in the knowledge that he was earning his keep from the two employers at once, the FBI and Twitter. His loyalty to the FBI was such that, you know, right up until Musk gave him the pink slip. He, he was still actually beavering away inside Twitter to hide the Bureau's fingerprints. So he was doing everything he could to hide this kind of stuff until he was just recently fired for doing so. Now, before you dismiss Twitter's influence on politics, bear in mind that even if you don't know what a tweet is from a chirp, <laughs> it is, or at least it was, the echo chamber for big, big media i mean con- concentrating that the hive mind and the and the fine tuning of talking points of liberal ju- journalism no matter where you get your news the conversation on twitter informs what you read and what you see and, and and even what you hear now we know that the fbi paid big money to control that and it is impossible to measure the effect the fbi and and twitter's Extensive muffling of conservatives had on the 2020 election, in just the most blatant of countless examples, the bureau warned Twitter and Facebook off of giving any oxygen to the New York Post bombshell report on Hunter Biden's laptop, and of course, the laptop revealed its owner to be just a a venal a denigrant, but but much worse, it, it contained credible evidence that the younger Biden sold his father's influence to America's enemies. And polls now show just the the, the fact that stifling the story likely cost Trump a second term. The big question posed by the the Twitter uh, revelations is whether the federal government through the FBI infringed on the constitutional rights of Americans by working with the platform to suppress their freedom of speech can anyone can tell you that the First Amendment applies only to the government but if the feds were directing private companies to censor people well it gets tricky then from there if 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 the FBI was paying 3.4 million dollars for Twitter to do what it could you know to stifle this this kind of speech and this story well then you have one of of the The con law case books. So in other words, the FBI is prohibited under law to influence elections and and stifle First Amendment uh, rights. The question is, can they pay someone else to do it for them and still be legal? (laughs) That's kind of an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? The FBI was stifling First Amendment rights. And they were influencing elections. And they were doing this. They were paying taxpayer money to do this. Is that legal? Well, I, we're going to have to wait and see, right? So let's let's take a, a look and, and, and end on this. Uh, Christian music star Amy Grant drew a firestorm of commentary, some supportive and some critical, when reports began circulating that she planned to host a same sex wedding for her niece. Grant spoke to the Washington Post for a recent profile ahead of her appearance at the Kennedy Center Honors, and she was the first contemporary Christian artist to receive the award. And she told the outlet that her niece's wedding would be the first bride and bride arrangement for her family. She said, quote, honestly, from a faith perspective, I do always say, Jesus, you just narrowed it down to two things, love God and love each other. I mean, hey, that's pretty simple, Grant said. Well, some cheered Grant's announcement, shared their thoughts on Twitter and saying things like for for uh, so many of us, uh, you know, gay boys of a specific era, Amy Grant was our first kind of crush pop star. So seeing her host her niece's same-sex wedding is amazing. And that was uh, actor Emerson Collins and then what uh, they tweeted Amy Grant Getting soft, uh, canceled for denying conservative evangelical expectations. The 90s are back, Ruth Graham commented. But not all the responses were positive. Uh, We we see that uh, even Franklin Graham was um, among those that criticized her by saying, yes, we are to love God and love each other. But if we love God, we will seek to obey his word. Jesus told us, "If if you love me, Keep my commandments. God defines what is sin, not us, and His word is clear that homosexuality is a sin. Now Graham went on to say that loving people did not always mean simply accepting what they did, but that that it that it it actually can center around caring about their souls and their relationship with God as well. Now, you know, Amy Grant is not any stranger to controversy. She's gone through a lot. And I can say when I was a DJ at a Christian radio station, I had a real problem with Amy Grant. Uh, the issue was not that she was a part of, um, you know, of of a, of a divorce or this type of thing. That's not that's not what it was. What for me, it was that she was a part of a few uh, Christian artists at the time that thought that if they took, if they just took out the reference of God and Jesus in their music, uh, and just saying about love, then they could be accepted by both the Christian and the non-Christian radio listeners. And that didn't happen. She actually ended up losing both. And, and even, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of jokes going around about REMs losing my religion in reference to her. But, um, but you know, I think she, she's getting what she wants. She's, she's getting her attention here today. And, and, you know, when I hear it, uh, when I hear on the radio, if I listen to the radio, it somehow switches off. But, but I would love to hear what you have to say on, on the subject, whether you like Amy Grant, whether you don't, I, I would love to hear that conversation and have that with you. And you can always do that at Podcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Organite Communications.